1: It's November 17 and you are listening to the Basou and Gadin Notebook. I am Marc Antoine Gadin with Arbin Basu. How are
0: you doing, my friend? I'm good. Yeah. We're in two different cities again. This is fun. I Out know. Montreal. You're in Boston. Yes. This is good fun. The city yes. of
1: parking extortion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, especially anywhere close to the downtown area. It is really quite a racket they have running in boston but uh good for them good for the parking people in boston that's everyone deserves to make a an outrageously criminal living but yeah it's funny um,
1: boston and racket are not two words i would put together <laughs> All right. So today, so, uh, yeah, today we're going to uh, we're going to we got a broad range of topics. We're going to discuss uh, Arbor Jacki. We're going to discuss uh, Brendan Gallagher's uh, lack of discipline. Uh, we have our traditional uh, Prospect Friday. Uh, today's uh, prospect uh, who's going to be uh, in focus is uh, Shane uh, Sean Farrell. And uh, but first and foremost, Arpin, I'd like to hear you on something that uh, you brought up with uh, Martin Saint-Louis today at practice. Um we know that uh Marty likes to have on the power play most of his righties on one unit and some lefties on the other unit. Uh and he's he's been very consistent regarding that. He's been very consistent also with his lines. What does it mm-hmm. uh, do, are there already some conclusions that we can draw about Marty Sandwee being a guy that will look for continuity and, and stability, you know, at, not I wouldn't say at any cost, but certainly as much as possible in the way that he manages this team.
0: Well, it certainly seems like it so far this season, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, if we look at this through the lens of Josh Anderson uh, remaining on power play one. So essentially when Kirby Doc goes down, he's a right-handed shot. Martin said we could look at it and say, okay, well, I have two options. I have Josh Anderson. I have Jesse Ullman. Those are my two options. Well, Yul Armia was not on the team at the time, but when Yul or Armia Brandon was up, Gallagher. you had Yul Armia. Or, or, or Brandon, Brandon Gallagher was already on the second power play. Unit. Yeah. yeah. So so when you, you know, when you limit what you're doing on the power play where you have to have a certain uh, handedness of shooter in a certain position – no matter how effective that player is being, um, it it seems to limit you, you know? And he didn't feel that way, obviously, because he's sticking with this. But, you know, it begs the question, you know, when Josh Anderson barely ever shoots on the power play, does it matter what side he shoots from? <laughs> does it really make a difference? <laughs> so it's, it's and, and, you know, being kind of coy, but it, it does lend itself to some, predictability for the power play. You know, we know that the first unit and of course the opponents know that the first unit is almost always going to attack from that Mm -hmm. right circle with Nick Suzuki quarterbacking it. The second unit is almost always going to attack from that left circle with Alex Newhook quarterbacking it. So it's, and, and, you know, I think the Canadians try to play off that predictability and they do try to switch things up and make and keep, keep penalty kills on their toes. But it just, and, you know, when, when Marty was answering the question, it was the second question he'd gotten on the power play. And obviously the power play didn't get the job done against Vegas, but by and large, the power play has been pretty good. Not right. amazing, but pretty good. Um, good enough where you, the, he clearly felt that, why am I taking questions on the power play? Because at one point he goes, what's our what's power play running out right now? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying the power play is bad, but, you know, sometimes – it doesn't mean it can't be better. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean you can't be proactive with things. And, and I think that's one thing that we've seen with, with Martin he even had admitted it, you know, that we'd mentioned in the last episode where he came out and, or one of the previous episodes where he came out and said, listen, that was on me and the results and this and that. And I got too caught up in the results and I didn't, I put band-aids mm-hmm. on things that might've required minor surgery. Then went about making the most wholesale changes we've seen from him all season. And all it meant was swapping two centers, Suzuki and Dvorak, and switching all his defense pairs. Aside from that, it takes a lot. It takes an injury or something pretty extraordinary for, for Marte Salery to really um, make a change. You know, he had Josh Anderson on the top line. He took him off. Once it was clear, it wasn't working. So more overall, not, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the power play thing, but you know, the, none of the lines changed to practice on Friday. I'm guessing we're not going to see any change in the forward lines in Boston on Saturday um, You know, is he too patient? And does he have too much of a player's outlook on it? Where I would imagine, as a player, he liked having continuity, he liked building chemistry with line mates, and he liked not la- having the coach tinker so much. Uh, there's got to be a better balance here because, you know, the five on five results no, have right been great. Not and and no. you know, aside from. No. The, no, no, they're not there. And they scored some goals against Vegas, but they gave up a bunch as well. So. Right.
1: I think that there's there might be something of a PTSD effect at play here because of all the injuries from since he took over, and the lack of oh, personnel yeah. at hand. Not him, not having his whole team at his disposal, made it look for that stability constantly. And now that he's pretty healthy, apart obviously from from Kirby Doc up front at least, uh, he can he can experiment with that and say, you know what, I'm going to give it the test of time and see if players can work through their troubles, uh, if we can let time for a certain chemistry to, uh, to establish itself. He mentioned last year how familiarity was a key to the success on the power play. And honestly, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they, they didn't score against Vegas, but uh, I mean, the, it's only the second time since the second and third game of the season Where they're shut out on the power play in consecutive games, so overall things have been, as you said, going pretty well. But as I was driving to Boston today, I had, you know, a lot of time to tinker on all those things. And uh, you, uh, I don't want to get too much into the nitty-gritty of things, but you mentioned Josh Anderson on the power play and the fact that Uh so you've got a guy on the bumper who's a right-handed shot. Well, if you want to put a Left handed shot, let's say in the bumper position. Your main passer, apart from, apart from the defenseman who moves things from left to right, your main passer on the unit remains Suzuki. But Suzuki, Mm -hmm. if, if, if he fakes a shot and there's just a redirection, it's almost easier if the guy is a lefty rather than the right. And the main shooter is Caulfield. Or is expected to be Caulfield because Suzuki, as I pointed out in the last episode, is shooting a lot more than people give him credit for. But Suzuki, uh-huh. uh, sorry, Caulfield, if he wants to shoot but then chooses to pass, the shortest, quickest, and most effective pass he could go to is a quick pass to the guy in the bumper if he's available. And that way, the bumper, if he's a left-handed shot, then he's ready for a one-timer. So it would serve uh-huh. two purposes. To have a, and to be able to go one timer by being fed by Caulfield, and to redirect if you're being if you receive a shot pass, let's say from from Suzuki on the right side, uh, it it could It'd open be up three. some new. It, it should open up some new uh, uh, possibilities. And of course, you're going to talk about Monahan also could be another option, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean that that play that they try from Monahan to the bumper guy. Is easier if you're a lefty shot and you're basically cutting to the net, it, it just makes an easier angle. So, so yeah, that's what I was kind of getting at with Marty. He didn't really seem to share my point of view or anything, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, listen, of, of, of all the guys who have played on the power play only Alex Newhook has a worse shot rate than Josh Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so uh, and, and, like Josh Anderson's shot rate is way behind everyone else on the top unit. You know, I mean, you have Suzuki getting off, you know, just over 14 shots per 60 minutes, Matheson and Caulfield at 13 and a half. Uh, You have Monaghan at nine and then Josh Anderson is just under seven. So it's, and again, you know, I think we mentioned this previously. Like I think Josh Anderson is not doing everything bad on the power play. I think he's excellent at puck retrievals. He's excellent at, at, at kind of repairing broken plays. Like when plays get kind of scrambly, he's good at getting the puck back and getting the puck back under control and, and kind of maintaining possessions in the offensive zone. Um, But a lefty could do that. <laughs> and it'd be nice if someone who could do that uh, could also pop a goal every now and then. Because it's honestly like... I don't even know if it's even Josh Anderson's fault, but the Canadians aren't using that position. They're not getting shots from there and it's not a threat. And so... It's, it might have something to do with Anderson just not fully understanding lanes and movement and how to pop into open space. But we've seen many teams effectively use the bumper. The Canadians haven't been able to forever. We've been talking about this for years. Uh, remember when they first got Dvorak? We, the huge thing about Christian Dvorak was how good of a bumper guy he was. And getting the Donov, we talked to about at the beginning of last season. I mean, we've been talking about this bumper spot for so long. Yes. And, you know, Anderson is just not that guy. And so, but I do wonder if so. You have a lefty in the bumper position. You're not getting one timers from the bumper anyway. So, as you just mentioned, having a lefty doesn't hurt you in that way and does open up other possibilities. But just giving because I feel like all the guys on the second unit, and I'm thinking primarily of Slavkowski, but I mean all, even Newhook. But the guys on the second unit, they've got to be. I remember talking to, to Jacki about this you know, the pressure is on them because they know they're going to get, they're going to get like 30 seconds on the power play and they got, they basically get one entry and they better nail that entry or else their power play time is over. And so like, there's this constant pressure to to produce, you know? And so it's either mix up the units a bit and and give it kind of a different look or maybe give the second unit a bit more time and not go so heavily on the first unit. I don't know. There's, and, and again, Bears repeating the power play is working relatively well and so it's it's not something where you want to completely redo everything but the question that actually Eric Angles the sports set ask and I think you know, I think we've asked it on this podcast is you know maybe Ylonen if you have to have a right-handed shot maybe Elonin would be a good option there especially on a night when he scored a couple of goals you know he I think he finished last on the team in ice time yeah in that game mm-hmm. against Vegas or just ahead just ahead of Pizzetta
1: Actually, I'm not he got five seconds more
0: than Pizzetta. That's right. He was 7'17", and he was was 7'22". And he got 10 shifts in the game, scored on two of them. It's 20% of his shifts. (laughs) It's pretty good. Um, And so, you know, kind of goes back to you don't want a coach that tinkers too much. You don't want a coach that doesn't tinker at all. You know what's the proper balance there? I'm not sure, but it, it just, you know, it seems like today, and who knows? Maybe maybe in Boston, maybe today was a smokescreen. Maybe in Boston, Marty's going to switch things up a little bit. But it just seems like the team uh, could use a little a little change. And when you know, he was asked today on Friday, Marty was asked about keeping the Monahan line together. And his because you know I think at first over the first say twelve games or so thirteen games it made a whole bunch I made all the sense in the world they were a very consistent line they were producing right. uh, hasn't really been the case of late and he said the primary reason why he's done that is to balance out his lines and you know that has that has merit but you know I think you have I think I think Cole Caulfield scored. What, two goals at five on five this season. It's, 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 there's, there's some guys that could use some help, even though Dvorak, I think, has played really well between Caulfield and Suzuki, and not Suzuki, uh, soft costume. Yeah, he has. Yeah. You know, yeah. Sean Monaghan's, Sean Monahan sitting there, and, and, and Marty's kind of, I think, sticking to an idea of that line that was true a few games ago, but isn't necessarily true anymore.
1: No, and I mean, you have to accept the fact that sometimes th- things are not going to work for a certain period of time. And if you m- move things around, well, then you can come back to that formula later on, knowing that it has worked. So you can also put it in your back pocket and say, well, you know, at a later date, I come back because I know, I know it can be effective. But right now, the, the, the Monaghan line is getting buried. Uh, you know, in terms of – it started off mm-hmm. that M- Sean Monahan was one of the three guys in the NHL that played the most without giving up – uh, what, what without being on the ice for a goal against at 5-on-5. Five five. Now, all yeah. three members of that line have been on the ice for nine goals against in the past seven games. So since the St. Louis game. Uh, mm-hmm. That's pretty much – double the amount than any other line or any other forward on the team. Uh And in that uh-huh. span, Gallagher and and Pearson have been on for one goal, Monaghan for two goals, or it's not, or it's not the other way around, but it's, it's been during the serious uh negative in terms of differential in that department. So that, that chemistry that we saw at the beginning, what seemed to work so well right now is not working, but, I find oh. that as much as Monahan, if you put him with probably more dynamic players, younger players, there it might open up some new possibilities. Uh, maybe have making sure that he starts uh, the vast majority of his uh, of his shifts on the offensive zone. When you have Evans and and Dvorak, you know on the in the lineup, there's there would there's no reason to put Monahan out there in the defensive zone. But if you don't, if you break up that line, who do you give Gallagher to? And to me, that's an issue because Gallagher needs to keep his shifts short because after a certain amount of time, he becomes a liability out there. But if you have him play, let's say, uh, mainly defensive starts minutes, either with Evans or Dvorak, he's got 200 feet of ice to cover to do his thing and go work in the blue or in the dangerous areas. And if he goes to play with Suzuki, well, Suzuki is one guy who tends to extend his shifts and ends up being on the ice for an easily 55 seconds, uh, you know, on, on any given shift. So it's, it's a little mm-hmm. bit tricky. And the windows to make Gallagher work and, and, and have his, his, his play being the most impactful on the team seems to be limited. And the best fit remains Sean Monahan.
0: Well, yeah, a lot of guys' best fit is Sean Monaghan. I mean, uh, I was talking to Yuri Slavkoski today and, you know, their little pregame handshake ritual is based on a game last season when they were playing on the same line. And he said, oh, we must have scored that game because we've been doing it ever since. And so I think Yuri in, in his short NHL career has shown that his best fit is Sean Monahan. Um his
1: handshake for Nick, those who have Nick. not seen it the handshake is basically yeah.
0: just before the
1: game before they they get on the ice they give a hand they give each other a handshake very formal very business without their gloves and yeah.
0: they're the proper handshake the traditional it's a really one. proper handshake yeah like <laughs> Yuri Slavkowski is is walking down the line and they're all laughing and they're all like you know getting pumped up for the game and he sees Sean Monahan he goes total stone face removes his gloves. <laughs> Proper, a little nod and a shake. So, so anyhow, so that's the that's the origin story of that is based on some game last season when they were playing on a line together, and so that's what they do. But anyhow, it's um, you know a lot. And again, and Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield, if they were to be put back together, have shown that they work well with Sean Monahan. So, I, I will continue to believe that there would be no problem putting Brendan Gallagher with Jake Evans. The defensive zone start thing you mentioned. When when Brendan Gallagher was at his best, he started all his shifts in the defensive zone. It was it was a constant, steady stream of defensive zone starts playing with Phil Dano and mm-hmm. Thomas Tatar. He's not the same player now, but it's not as if it's a job that he hasn't done before that he couldn't handle. Um, it's it, the limited sample we saw of them of, of Evans and Gallagher together last season was promising, so it's, it's worth a shot to see if that is something that could work again. Right. But the main benefit of it would be it would be freeing up Monahan to be playing in a more appropriate role uh, because you know Gallagher's you know listen I don't put much stock into plus minus but he is the worst plus minus on the team at minus nine it's 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 worse than Monahan's it's worse than Pearson's and so it's it's not necessarily working as well as it did and that's the thing is that I think in Martin Saint Louis' mind if you keep it the sample of their good games was long enough that this could just be considered a slump and that they'll work out of it and they'll go back to being that line, which is fair. Maybe that'll happen. Uh, but as things stand right now, you know, Sean Monaghan at five on five, it's, I don't want to say he's being wasted, but it's, 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 I think he could be used more effectively and it could be used to get other players going a little better uh, than the way he's being used now. And then it's, it's, and, so, and when you add so the clearly, he's, that
1: clearly, clearly the, he's being used as the, as the third line center, if you consider if you say b- being used with better line mates, so Pearson and Gallagher in your mind are like the third line wingers, whereas Slavkovsky and and you know whether it's let's say Slavkovsky and Anderson or, or Newhook or whatever, uh-huh. uh, those guys are, are more like top six wingers in your mind.
0: Well, yeah, I mean I think that's I think that's fair to say. I don't think that's a, a knock on anyone, but it's 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 just that the timing of something like that would be appropriate too considering as you mentioned off the top, the fact that Gallagher took a penalty that really cost the Canadians against mm-hmm. Vegas. Um I don't want to say it cost them the game because there's a lot of things that they did wrong in that game that led them to put them in the situation that they were in, but in that situation at that critical juncture of the game, uh, to take a double minor for high sticking. And, you know, Nick Suzuki tried to defend him and said, you know, that guy had a good scoring chance. He got to eliminate the scoring chance. It wasn't a reckless penalty. And he's just unlucky that he got him up high. Uh, Marte St. Louis after the game was very brief and just said, it can't happen twice. And it's funny, those exact same words Brendan Gallagher himself used the game before, to describe <laughs> the performance of the referees. Yeah, saying that it can't happen, that you make yeah. that, that the guy in the neutral zone makes that call when the guy who's right next to me saw the play and decided not to whistle it down. So it's, you know, I mean, it's, I, I just, I, I think that that would be, it would be good for Marte to be proactive a little bit and not wait for things to get to the situation that it did prior to the Detroit game where the Canadians were on a real low and he just almost felt forced to do something, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you should kind of follow his own, his, his own advice when he says, uh, you know, the, the results can mask certain things or that, you know, a band aid is inappropriate when it's minor surgery. I think even though the Canadians are not in dire straits, I think it's some minor surgery would be appropriate at right around this time.
1: So, what do you make of those late game penalties from from Gallagher? Because he's had a few so far this season, but it hasn't. It's not exactly a trademark of his. He's, he doesn't prior to this year doesn't have a history of being a guy that puts his team in trouble with with untimely penalties. I mean, other guys, I mean, a lot more than him. So, what's what's new? What's is it just circumstantial? You reckon?
0: Uh no, I think he's put himself in some bad situations, and I think he's he hasn't he hasn't kept the game situation in mind. Um, you know, I looked at all his penalties last night after the game, and there are a few that jump out. There was a game against Columbus where he took one with less than a minute left. The game was tied. Canadiens killed that penalty. Killed what carried over into overtime. Which was, I think, a minute five seconds of overtime where they had to kill a four on three, and then they wound up winning the game in overtime. Um, he took the second hooking penalty uh, that gave the Boston that very long five on three uh, last weekend, um, and then obviously he took the game with the one against Calgary. Which, listen, it, I would I would agree that that shouldn't have been called, um, and that the guy in the neutral zone definitely shouldn't be calling it, but. Yeah. Gallagher's stick was there. I mean, he put he, he put them in the position where they could make that call, bad call or not. You're giving them an opportunity to make that call. And then last night, they initially – so I asked Suzuki about it after the game because he had a long conversation with one of the referees. And so basically the problem was was that they told him that they're going to review it. And he's like, well, wait a minute. You can't review a penalty. You can only review a double minor for high sticking. And they had initially called hooking because if you look at the play – the shaft of Gallagher's stick hits the guy in the mouth and then he hooks his hands so there yeah. was a whole series of penalties oh, that could have been six have been minutes called. It initial been call- initial it could have been 6 minutes cuz he did hook him so yeah. um the initial call by the ref was hooking but then the linesman uh came in and said that should that needs to be a double minor for high sticking you got him in the mouth and i think i think the guy lost some teeth and so um so essentially what Suzuki was explaining was that we thought it was hooking The linesman came in and the linesman are allowed to call a double minor for high sticking. And once that happened, they were allowed to review it and the review upheld the penalty. Brandon Gallagher didn't argue it much was just sitting in the penalty box sheepishly and then had to watch as the golden Knights scored two goals, um, to win the game with him in the box. So this is, uh, you're right. This was not all that common, but I mean, we've seen, we have seen it in the past. I I remember a game, uh, I think a game against the Flyers in the bubble. Am I remembering that correctly? Um, the bubble playoffs, where he—oh no, that's one where he didn't get a call. And his mouth is all bloody, but
1: exactly.
0: it is. Yeah, he, he's he's had a he's had some carelessness with his Matt Niskanen, exactly, and he's had some some, some issues with carelessness with his stick, mm. and that happens, you know. But he's listen—he's up to—he's got eighteen penalties. He's got 18 penalty minutes. he has got 9 minor penalties in seventeen games. It's it's a lot, and so. You know, again, uh, as long as, and I think I wrote about this before the season started, like what, is it so bad to have Brendan Gallagher on line with Jake Evans, the quote-unquote fourth line, he probably wouldn't like it. Uh, It would be tough to see a guy making $6.5 million on the quote-unquote fourth line. But I don't know, at this point, if there's a message to send to your players, it's, game clock situation you know the canes would have been better off had gallagher let that guy go and take your chances that primo makes the save but even if he doesn't you got over two minutes left you can you can get back in the game you know i mean it's it's worse it'd be better than what happened ultimately where they give up two goals and basically have no chance of getting back in the game so um, this would be a right time to send that message that, you know, even the veteran guys, when they're, when they're taking penalties like that, the one that clearly bothered St. Louis, listen, that's as close as St. Louis is going to come to criticizing a player publicly. Um, this would be a good time to send that message and maybe yeah. put him down in the lineup and put up a guy like Ulen And after he put up two goals, you know?
1: Yes. Or could, to continue in the vein of, of Martin St. Louis saying that he wants to balance his lineup, I think that, what we've seen, for example, from a guy like uh, Raphael arvi when he's been playing with Evans and Ulonen, that line has been a lot more mm. dynamic and offensive than when he's not on that line. But if you have a fourth line made of Gallagher, Ulonen, and Evans, you have a chance to have a fourth line that actually spends quality time yeah. on the other end, that <laughs> knocks, knocks at the door. I mean, right now, Jake Evans is, is having... Quality chances after quality chances, not necessarily him, but his line, and it's been that way for for quite mm-hmm. a while now. So maybe that th- this this line could use a little bit of the offensive acumen that Brendan Gallagher can still provide, and you know try to create even more of an offensive threat by empowering your fourth line. And seeing, let's say that for if Arvidsson is ready to come back in short order, well, you can put him somewhere else on the top nine. That that could be a solution because the Canadians don't, they won't have like a like an Uber sniper readily available to uh, you, to jumpstart their top six. You know, they don't have that guy, so they have to work with what they've got. They have to work with the fact that Kirby Doc's not is gone for the rest of the year. So with the elements that they have. Either they choose to 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 go top heavy, load the whites, uh, the the top six, and you know, good luck with the rest. Or you you say, mm. well, we'll come at you in waves, and you know, shift after shift and line after line, we're we're going to be somewhat of a threat and somewhat of a of a you know a, a menace offensively. So, which is I what
0: think. Marty himself said he likes. That's yeah. what he that's what he wants, you know. And so it's it. it he doesn't have that right now. He does mm-hmm. to some extent, but he and obviously penalties make it difficult to roll your lines. But that's when the when the Canadians are playing well. That's that's how Marty likes. It. That's how that's how Marty gets them to play well. Is 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 coming at teams in waves, having balanced scoring, and so you know there's I think there's opportunities here, uh, but you know it's. It's, it's, there's a spectrum of being too tinkery and being not tinkery enough. And I think Marty wants to err on the not tinkering enough, not tinkering or too tink. He wants to err against tinkering too much. Yeah. He probably didn't like that as a player. Um, I can't remember if Tortorella did that much in Tampa, but I feel like he did a fair amount, but um but yeah, I think, I think this is, we're, we're at an, it's, we're at a, a moment right now where it's not screaming like, let's change everything. And, and uh, I'm not suggesting he do that, but it is the way the Canadians are playing does suggest that there's a need to, t- to just spark something somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think giving Monaghan to some other people is a way to accomplish that because he has proven you know, over the last two seasons, whenever he's been healthy, uh, that he makes other players better, and and we see it all the time on the ice uh, how how well he facilitates. And I like you know, I asked Tanner Pearson last week about you know what makes Monahan easy to read off of, and he laughed, and he said, uh, or no, or I asked what's it like to read off Monahan, and he laughed. And he just said it's so easy, like he just makes everything easy. And he just has this knack for knowing what the next play is and where that next play is going to happen. And he's always on it. And and if you watch him closely, like even on television, but I know I do it at the games. Sometimes I'll watch Sean Monahan for a shift and just follow him around. And that's what he does. He's just, he's on his way to where the to where the puck's about to be all the time. And so uh, I think giving him to Slav and maybe Caulfield, if you want to keep that duo together, would not be a bad idea
1: so we brought up uh, gallagher's penalties as a team the canadians are the most penalized teams in terms of the number of times that they were shorthanded the number of minors that they have also daily the league in both categories so and it's not just gallagher um i mean ghoulies right up there uh, eight minor penalties jack I, uh leads the league at 11 so but it's mm-hmm. been it's been an issue for for a lot of People and after the game last night, I, I tweeted a few minutes before Martin Saint Louis said the same thing, so it made me look smart. He, uh, I wrote that the the Canadians had what they deserved, basically, because even right. though the score was six on six to five, just the the overall, you know, way that the game was played in terms of scoring chances, which that, that was bunkers how much uh, the Golden Knights dominated. Uh, the and the canadians shut themselves in the foot by with their lack of discipline and i know that some people said oh well you know what did you expect it's they're the stanley cup champions we're not nearly as good a team as they are fine in terms of structure depth uh, level of talent I, I understand all that but discipline is something that can be fixed if you if you stop being behind the play and if you mm-hmm. if you don't chase the game, if you don't chase the puck in your opponents, uh, you can you can limit the number of penalties. So that's all all those all those PKs are, are are bound to to put them in trouble. There's just no two ways around it, no matter how effective your PK is, and it's it hasn't been necessarily stellar, but it's it's alright, I guess. But I mean it's it cannot it's 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 a known fact in the NHL that at some point even the best PKs, if you provide too many opportunities to the other team. They'll they'll find a way to 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 beat it.
0: Yeah, and and discipline isn't only about penalties. You know, discipline is is the way you play. Discipline is there's there's a lot of ways to measure it. Um, and the Canadians didn't play the way they play when they're disciplined. You know, I mean, Marte St. Louis talks all the time about starting the other team's offense where well, there were lots of turnovers at the offensive blue line, uh, neutral zone, what have you, that that just sort of jump-started the Golden Knights attack. I mean, thank God for Caden Primo, because I know in all situations, the Golden Knights had 42 shot attempts in the first period. Forty-two. Crazy. It's It was 42-17. to 17. The Canadians in the game, in all situations, finished with 51. William
1: Carlson alone. They, they, they doubled it. They finished, uh, the Golden Knights finished at 90,
0: 93? 90, 96. 96-51. It was almost double in all situations. Yeah. William Carlson, in all situations, had eight high-danger scoring chances. Um, the Canadians had seven. <laughs> so it just goes to show like that they were giving up. I mean, the the golden Knights in the first period had 16 high danger chances in the first period. I mean, Caden Primo did not allow a goal in the first period. Uh, I sat with Caden Primo today after practice for a while. Uh, He was quite pleased with how I mean, a goalie who gives up six goals is not usually going to be all that feeling great about himself the next day, but Caden Primo did. And, and, you know, I I think he said, I could totally see why there's uh there's, there's no reason for him to feel otherwise. I mean, he said that the first goal is the one he'd like to have back the one by Brad Howden, the shorthanded goal. Uh, they were up to nothing. It was early in the second. He felt like that was a real moment, but you know, the, alone and scored not that long after that. Um, so, but otherwise he was like, you know, I didn't really, feel like i and i mentioned the 40-something shot attempts and he laughed he's like yeah marty mentioned that in the room after the first period and i was just kind of sitting there like yeah <laughs> that's that's a lot you know uh but he did he said he didn't actually feel like it was that much you know like he was honestly he was, he was in the game and he was he, it was a great period Um, and even in the third, he, he's doing great until, until Gallagher took those two penalties and they, and they capitalized. And I don't know a goalie in the world who's going to stop that Jack Eichel shot. Um, the wraparound by Stone. Yeah, maybe, but it's that Eichel shot was, he had a lot of room. He moved into a perfect shooting session and that's an elite shooter picking a corner with a really hard and nice shot. So, um, you know, kudos on Caden Primo managed to do that first game in eight days um, and and really said that his mindset in terms of stay he's he's approaching every practice like like it's a game like that's yeah. been his, his sort of technique. Um, he had about 36 hours notice that he was gonna play so so he was told before practice on Wednesday. Uh, but to his credit, he said that didn't change anything to how I approach practice Wednesday. I approached it the same way because I approach every practice like it's a game, and that's how I'm staying sharp. And really, the way Primo's playing, you know, I think he's – and he's, you know, the one thing that changes is that, like, he's like, every time I go in there, I just want to put it in their mind, like, let's give that guy more games. Like, let's give that guy more games. That's what he's got as his goal. I think he's doing that. You know, I think the Canadians have to legitimately start wondering – we have to find him some more games. I mean, I think, uh, he's probably, he's not going to play against Boston, but when they go on this road trip, when they leave on Monday, you know, they have three games in four nights. I would imagine Primo should get one of those. Um, and, but it's proving that instead of being sort of a goalie tandem with a third goalie thrown in every now and then, that maybe they really do need to go to more of a, a trio of goalies and get him some more action. Cause he's, he's deserved it.
1: I wonder if, uh, This situation right now, as they because they'll want to find a solution to to that conundrum, um and I think that Jake Allen is the most likely goalie to be to be moved at this point. But they need to see if Caden Primo is ready to handle the duties and face the music at the NHL level on a more consistent basis. So. And mm-hmm. he has not played many games, but those that he played were against like worthy opponents. He faced the New Jersey Devils. He played. He faced uh, the the Detroit Red Wings, who are you know like a pretty tough opponent. Then yesterday, the uh, the, the Stanley Cup champions. Tough. Those are tough assignments. He has not been given like the the San Jose Sharks. So there's there's certainly a scenario that I could see where they say, okay, well we need to know. And as soon as we're comfortable enough with what we see from Kaden Primo, then we can finalize a deal involving Jake Allen and make Primo the the backup to uh, to Samuel montambo. But so I understand that it's it's hard to this come is, up to that conclusion when you're rotating three guys. But th- this will have to happen. It's also
0: it's also there's also two different priorities here, and this is this is the this is the the line that that management has to has to tow. Is that management would love just to know that to see that, so that they have a better idea of what of if they can, in fact, trade Jake Allen, and if they can, you know, it's it's they don't know that yet. They don't even know if they're going to be able to sign multiple long term, even though they've started discussions, you know. But all that all that comes into play, but they have to ask the coaching staff. And I think they're a bit reticent, as we mentioned in a previous episode, they're a bit reticent to make you know to sort of impose lineup decisions on this coach because he'll go rogue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He will go rogue if you if you let him. So Primo has to convince the coaching staff of that. And 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 Marty has made it clear in no uncertain terms that I am I'm coaching to win every game. And Caden Primo's development, because he was asked specifically about that notion of coaching to win every game as it pertains to Primo. And Primo's development takes a backseat to that. And he's still coaching this team as if they're a potential playoff team, Um, despite the fact they only have two regulation wins and are now last in the NHL in that category after the San Jose Sharks won their third game in regulation late on Thursday night. It should Um, not go unnoticed. He's coaching
1: this team nobody should it forget should know that it's,
0: it's, a real, it's a real it's a real thing there's two regulation yeah. wins in 17 games um, so but Marty's still coaching this team as if he hopes to make the playoffs with this team and and you and I and everyone else can think that's absolutely ridiculous and preposterous and and unrealistic and that's fine that could be true but it, its it's also true that when you're in the fight and when you're a competitor You kind of want those people to think that way, especially when they look at the standings and they're like, "Okay, it's not inconceivable that if we go on a little run and we figure something out that we can make it. So all that to say that Primo's sitting there and it was funny today. He said it kind of quietly. He's like, you know, I'm just I'm trying to make it so that they want me to play. You know, it's like, like, yeah, of course. It's kind of cute. That's but how was, it works. You know, that's how it works. But he's like, that's what I want. You know, that's what I'm trying to do. It's not easy, but it, you know, but that's that's what I want. So, I'm sure management wants that too. It's just, it's, it's, it's a situation that's not going anywhere. Um. So I think it's incumbent on Marty to to come to grips with the fact that it's fine that you want to coach this team as if it's trying to make the playoffs. But Caden Primo is not going to prevent you from doing that. At least not the way he's played so far this season. In my no, opinion.
1: because he has he's, he has really uh, uh, tightened the gap between him and the other the other two goalies in terms of performances. Yeah. He, now he looks like an NHL goalie that and he gives you a chance to win. Uh, he did you know first half of the game yesterday did even more than that. Um, so mm-hmm. and he's done. Uh, he's been. It's been good two games in a row, and I don't remember seeing two very two convincing performances in in a row from Primo in the past at the NHL level. But maybe maybe that Saint Louis thinking of well we, we have a decent shot and making the playoffs despite our record, despite our two really, uh, regulation wins, have to do with the just the, the amount of chances that they're generating. I have in front of me the uh, the the. the the ratio of chances uh, that are calculated by natural stat trick and it's pretty interesting because from game to game the if you take all strength the majority of games this year the canadians have had the advantage in the in the number of high danger chances they've they've had more yeah. than their opponent and in any given game the most the worst differential was giving up six uh, chances against you know, uh, more than than they have of their own. A minus six. That was until yesterday against Vegas when they ended up <laughs> they ended the game minus twenty-five in terms of chances. So that was <laughs> that, that was crazy, man. That was yeah, so seven high danger chances for thirty two chances against. The highest number they had previous previously was twenty three That was against uh, in a game against uh, uh, the Capitals, but in that game they still Mm -hmm. had 18 of their own, so they was ended up minus five. So, so they've been competitive, you know, in terms of trading chances in pretty much every all all of their games. So maybe that to a certain extent, we it's fresh in our mind. The game happened yesterday. There might be an outlier. It might be an outlier in, in itself, but there's certainly. A recency bias in the way that we perceive this team, just because of how badly they got beaten, despite uh, making it only a, a one-goal game.
0: Um, well, I mean, because right now, in part because of that game, they're allowing the third most high-danger chances per sixty in the NHL at all strengths. Yeah, uh, and that's now yeah,
1: that, uh, yesterday's game. It's two games but in that's,
0: one. That that. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's, so prior to yesterday's game, yeah, but even prior to yesterday's game, they were seventh in the league okay. in terms of high danger chances against per 60. So yes, it bumped them up from seventh to second in a single game, which is pretty ridiculous, but, um, but they are giving up a lot of chances and, you know, and and the, the chance generation is coming kind of in waves. It's coming. It's it's going up and down as as the season comes along. But hmm. you know, so if the
1: listen. I I wanted to bring up because you mentioned the 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 three goalies and whatnot. Now there's a situation with Arbor Jacki being injured. Um, mm-hmm. so for now he's day to day. They probably are going to have a, a more clear picture of the situation in a day or two. I don't. I don't think that calling him day to day means that it's not serious, and we can expect him back on the ice tomorrow. I think it's more they don't have clarity yet.
0: It's more like don't ask us, ask us later. Exactly, is what day to day means. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Right. So, luckily, Jordan Harris is ready to come back. Uh, he seems to be in one game, out one game. I I, I suspect he's not miraculously one hundred percent and ready to go for the rest of the season. It's a situation worth monitoring. But anyway. He's going to be back. He's going to f- face the, the Boston Bruins uh, in Boston for the first time of his career. He's excited about that. But the thing is, the Canadians uh. after that, well, they're they're already leaving for a long trip, um, and they're going to go, They're going to be in California all of next week. Uh, how can they go if Jacki is not available? If Harris is fit to play but not entirely healthy. And if Gustav Lindstrom is on your top six on defense, how can they leave for California with six defensemen?
0: If Gustav Lindstrom is Gustav Lindstrom, then it's basically – when, yeah. But when you have – yeah. yeah, yeah. I, never f- never forget to pronounce have-
1: the N in his name, otherwise you, <laughs> it's a whole different – Yeah, yeah but exactly.
0: But, um, you know, I, I've always – we've assumed in the past that, Oh, they'll never go out West without an extra. You remember what Reb Pitlick had to do last season when they went to Calgary without an extra forward. And all of a sudden, Brendan Gallagher got banged up. Yeah. Reb yeah, Pitlick yeah. had to, had to do a cross country and didn't make it in time for the game and all this stuff. So they've done it. They've done it in the past. They've done it in the past. So we'll see, but it's because the situation Laval is not um, on defense is not, Ideal. Listen, I mean, to replace Jack, you would need a left shot, ideally. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't think they want to bring up Logan Mayu anytime soon. They want to give him a long runway in the valve. They want to leave him there as long as possible. Jaden Struble's been okay. Currently suspended in the HL. I don't think that impacts his ability to play in the NHL. But well, um, as but we're anyway, anyway, on he's Friday a couple night- hours away from. Friday night's game would be the last game of his suspension, but I don't think yeah. it's really relevant. Um He might be a possibility. Mate- like there's two guys who had really good training camps in Trudeau and Norlander who haven't really transitioned those training camps into the regular season. Um So, but I, well, yeah. I think they would be candidates. It's they haven't been as they haven't been stellar, let's say in Laval.
1: Well, so Struble's, Struble's been quite good. Norlander's been, know, but Norlander's I mean, Norlander's Norlander been
0: scratched. And Norlander's been scratched. Norlander's been scratched. He's, Trudeau's, uh, yeah, Trudeau's it's, been... It's, it's both of them. I'm not. I'm talking about those two. Struble's been good. And yeah. Struble would probably be the most deserving call-up based on merit. Uh, but I do know that the Canadians are very wary of calling up the rookies from Laval. They'd rather not. If they can avoid it, they'd rather not. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why Mayu wasn't called up when they called Lindstrom's been called up twice now. Uh, they would rather leave Mayu there on the right side. And I wonder if Struble would fall under the same category because it's, you know, Norlanders, this is what is third season in Laval. It's, it's, he's been there a while. Yeah. Um, Trudeau's in his second year. Uh, it's, and you know, and there's, there's a couple of veteran guys that they, they could, they could maybe call up if they, if they so desire. Um it's my understanding is that they were they're gonna err on the side of keeping the rookies in Laval all year, if at all. So unless Joshua Roy makes it completely impossible to keep him in Laval and and it becomes obvious that he's wasting his time in Laval, which I don't think is the case right now, even though he's one of the top scorers in the league, they'd rather keep him there as well, and he has no problem staying there, as we mentioned in a previous episode. But it's uh You know, so in this situation, I think one of the more veteranish options would probably get the call over Strubel. That would be my guess. I could be wrong, but that would be how I think they see
1: it. But you have to look at the guys who have NHL contracts. There's not a ton of them. There's, if the the more veteranish guys are are Nicolas Baudin and Brady Keeper, Uh, Keeper's Mm -hmm. a right handed shot. Boudin's played only five games. I don't know exactly what
0: his status is, but well, I, I consider Norlander one of—I consider Norlander a veteranish guy. Okay, at this but point, I, I don't. He's more veteranish than than Struble. Yeah,
1: but I don't consider him a possibility Mons. at all. Not, not, not with the type of de- defense that he's been providing to the Rocket. Uh, he's he's really been struggling. Uh, you were mentioning how you don't put uh, too much stock in uh, in differentials, but uh, last time I checked, it was minus eleven, the worst on the team, minus eleven in twelve games. Uh, he's, he's, mm-hmm. it, it's been painful for him. Struble and, and Trudeau are probably the two guys that I would consider under the circumstances. But yeah, they're they're younger guys. Uh, Struble's twenty two, Trudeau's twenty one. I don't know if age. Uh, is a is a big factor over years of professional service um but I mean i'll just say that'll that, I'll just say that lindstrom, very
0: quickly well i'll just say that lindstrom was minus six in four games yeah and it didn't stop them from calling him up that's all I'm saying
1: <laughs> yeah but at the time that he was called up yeah no i understand but there's a uh, yeah. They, they were a bit in a, a of a, in the a squeeze, weren't they? Because of the circumstances that uh, he was called up with. Um, uh, well, that well was- they just
0: flew him in from they flew him in from Winnipeg. It was there was a morning flight. It landed yeah. at noon. It wasn't all that complicated, so it was, it was fine. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's again. I think it's the fact. I think it's the rookie status more than the age that's going to mm-hmm. determine things and. Uh, uh, that's why, I mean, n- you know, Norlander is struggling for sure. I think Trudeau's had definite ups and downs this season. It's not as if he's had a fantastic season, even though he's playing better now, but it's, it's so, but I think one of those two guys mm-hmm. are going to be, are going to be the ones unless it's Baudet could be an option. So, it would be an interesting option, actually. I think it would be it'd be cool to, to see what he's yeah. got at the NHL level. Cause, yeah,
1: what's uh so prior to him being injured, Arbor Jacki had everybody been healthy. We've discussed that in the press box, you and I. Uh, Jacki was not having a great start to the season. It's something that you could you could no. tell, you could see right from the beginning of training camp. He uh, he's been struggling both with the puck and also in defending in his own end. He's been definitely very mm-hmm. physical. Has uh, been focused on being a presence, showing that he's the sheriff. That's all good, but uh, I, I don't think that he's been he's been improving or shown very uh, a, a great leap forward, both in his his offensive game and defensive game. So it's a bit too bad. I really hope that he's he's going to be all right, and it's not going to be the same scenario as last year when it comes to his shoulder. Uh, but what we had seen so far. Different, from him different this shoulder. Season. It's different shoulder. I know, different shoulder. But different you know,
0: shoulder, by the way. Hopefully, yeah. just, hopefully just in the same case anyone out there is wondering we, if it's the same one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah. So, so this beginning of the season was, I thought, a bit difficult, and uh, you know, maybe that if they didn't have those those issues in terms of moving guys down or calling guys up. If he would not have been the type of guy that would have benefited from a little stint in uh, in Laval,
0: because he's well, he's wavered, He waver- skated again this he skated he skated again this morning, and when he comes back, Lindstrom actually I thought looked okay against Vegas, uh, better than he did against Calgary. Um, that pairing was was terrible in that game. So yeah, when Savard comes back, I mean it's. Possible that they just decide to keep Lindstrom, move Harris over to the left, and, and send Jack Hyde to Valence. I don't think they would, but it shouldn't. he shouldn't be exempt from it. You know, it's like its no. uh, he hasn't been great. And, and Marty was asked uh, today what, what they're going to miss with Arbor out. And he's like, physical presence, and that was it. Yeah. So... It's, uh, it hasn't been a great, very smooth start to the season, but listen, talking about, you know, speaking of Laval, it's a good opportunity to transition to our, to our prospect Friday, Sean Farrell, um, super interesting case in the sense that Sean Farrell in both the rookie tournament and in training camp did not look like a guy who was ready to make a smooth transition to professional hockey. And, uh, you know, he is entering Friday night's game against Lehigh Valley, has six points in his last three games, um, five in his last two. So has really figured something out and is, and is producing in a pretty good clip, 11 points in 13 games as a rookie. Uh, what should we make of this? What do you think we should make of this?
1: Well, I think that... First and foremost, apart from the points, uh, there's the fact that he's shown to be very responsible uh, and very dependable uh, whenever he's put on the ice. He's one of the, the forwards that play the most on the team. Uh, and uh-huh. he's on the ice for a lot more chances for than chances against. So full has no issues whatsoever to put him out there because uh, he's he's – playing smart hockey defensively. He's uh, he's really helping out in getting the puck out of the zone. So there's that aspect. He's been paired with Joshua Rua and the two of them are on the tear together. Um, uh-huh. There are two guys that are very creative uh, offensively that like to both uh, make pu- uh, plays in tight areas. And they've been, I mean, for all the good press that Joshua Rua has had since the beginning of the season, well, Sean Farrell... Since they've been put together, uh, have had every bit as, as a word to say in his success than the other way around. So uh, wow. right now, what I find interesting with Sean Farrell because he's yeah he he went he flew totally under the radar uh, during camp and because he was not the flavor of the month anymore. Oh, he, looked like, of, he
0: looked like he looked like no he looked like a child. I mean he looked he looked like yeah. he looked like a kid.
1: He really he did. Like,
0: like it's, it's, it's,
1: well, you know what? He's going to look like a kid for a long time because that's what
0: his face is,
1: and that's the body I mean, that I, he's yeah, got. I mean,
0: I mean, his yeah, but his game. Yeah. Just he just looked overwhelmed by right. by everything, you know. So. so
1: yeah, but I spoke to Jeff Full about that and the fact that you know, because it's always a struggle for smaller players to adapt to professional hockey, and you know how we say about uh, the American League how it's a. It's a, it's a tough league. It's more, it's more physical. Uh, it's, it's so, uh-huh. there's less space because, uh, guys don't always know where to go and it gets clunky. And, and so it, it's so, it, it can easily stifle some of the, the smaller players. And in the past, JFL has put very often would put guys like, uh, like, uh, for example, uh, Riley Kinney and Farrell in the same basket because they're small, more, both of them smaller players that are getting introduced to regular uh, regular minutes in the AHL. But the thing that really differentiates the two of them now is that Farrell, despite his smaller stature, is able to uh, evade coverage. Because of the quality of his skating, the quality of his edges, the fact that he can pivot, change directions quickly. So he can elude opponents that way and create more time for himself, which is something that Riley Kidney has not been able to do so far. And the other thing, the other component to this is that he's – J.F. told me that he's ahead of most of his teammates when it comes to taking information. You know, uh, shoulder Mm -hmm. checks, uh, play scanning. He'll look up, take the information, process it early on so that he gives himself a a fraction of a second more to figure out what he's going to do with his next play. So getting that information, making quick decisions and the right ones uh, is really something also that helps him to continue and generate offense despite the fact that he's at a size disadvantage.
0: So, so the guy who graduated from Harvard and the guy who graduated from Harvard in three years is good at processing information is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Surprise, <laughs> yeah. surprise. But, you know, yeah. I mean, he's got he's got to figure out how to survive and, and find a niche for himself with, you know, with his attributes mm-hmm. and his shortcomings. But he's got he's got an elite brain and he's, he's got to use it to compensate for the fact that he's never going to be the biggest guy. He's never going to be the, the fastest guy I, uh, either. But he might not be the fastest, but he's very agile, so that that seems to be working for him so far this season. And uh, you, uh, you you gave the stats earlier. I mean, even though he, uh, you know, he, he entered the game um, uh, on Friday night again with with three goals, uh, yeah, three goals and three assists in his last three games. Pretty uh, pretty
0: good. So I think it's it's encouraging yeah, because and, and the one thing I think it's go ahead. Well, it's worth mentioning that when you say he's one of the, you know, the HL doesn't publish ice time. And so when he's one of the more used forwards on the team, and obviously if he's going to be paired with Joshua, Joshua has been, you know, sort of the top offensive player on the team. Uh, You know, I think Jeff will, you start with a strike against you when you're a smaller player with him. Mm. And you have to, you have your burden of proof is higher. When you're Sean Farrell size or you're Riley Kidney size, I mean, you know, the whole reason they they sent well, not the whole reason, but one of the reasons they sent Philip Nashar to Kitchener is JF was somewhat uncomfortable with the idea of having three rookies of smaller stature that he had to get ice time for all at the same time. It was going to be yeah. difficult for him to to find all three of them consistent ice time, and it was not going to do philip meshar or the organization or jf fool or the rocket any good to have meshar in that mix as it is you know now clearly he doesn't have an issue but at the time that they sent meshar down you know he was wondering how am i going to get farrell these minutes when he's the way he is when he's that size you know so good on farrell farrell's we were talking earlier how Caden's like, you know, I want to convince him to give me more games. Well, Farrell's convincing him to give him more minutes because, despite his size, like he has that strike against him from the start in the HL with this coach because he's a fervent believer in the the physical challenges that this league presents to smaller players. Yeah,
1: so it's going to. I'm really intrigued to see how it's going to evolve for for Farrell if he keeps it up like that. Uh, he could be he could position himself for a call up later on this year, but in the big picture, uh, I really wonder what his place in the organization is going to be. And I still think that this is a guy who's got enough talent to make an NHL career. But I wonder if it's going to be with Montreal. If he's if he shows that he's a very successful uh, player at the American League level, maybe that he could uh, you know uh, become a, an interesting trading chip for Montreal. But with, with Caulfield in there, eventually one day with Lena Hudson in there, how many small guys do you want on your team? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that, that Sean Farrell will be a guy that's going to just be in the mix. But when you look at what he can provide and his attributes, uh, he, sh- he certainly has enough to, have a, to, to, to carve himself a nice NHL career. It would
0: be really funny if they called him up and Marty didn't play him. Just just going back to last year, <laughs> yeah,
1: that'd be very funny. Uh, that that yeah. that would be Marty going rogue again.
0: Yeah, yes, it would. It would be great. Um, all right, well, that's good. That's going to wrap it up for this uh, this for this Friday's episode. Um, obviously, Mark Antoine is in Boston for the game against the Bruins. I am leaving on Monday uh, afternoon for the California trip. Um, so we will record an episode before I leave. Obviously, on Monday. Um, it'll be another mailbag episode and so we love all the questions that you guys are sending in the inbox is full all the time basu and godet at gmail.com and at basu and godet on x or twitter uh where you can submit your questions for the mailbag and um otherwise hope everyone has a great weekend and we will talk to you on monday Bye.